the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. As you'll notice from the cover of the worship leaflet, from the prayers and the hymns, uh, today we remember the baptism of Jesus by John in the River Jordan. And in so doing, we remember our own baptisms, whether we remember them actually or remember them in our imagination and remember what they signify, what they mean. Especially today, the scriptures invite us to to think about how God might be inviting us to open up or expand or enlarge in some way. Um, From what might God want to wash us this day? Are there still places in our lives where we, we continue to hold on to prejudice or harbor assumptions that God might be calling us to step into faster currents and allow God to do something new with us. I'm thinking especially of that second reading we heard, the Acts Acts of the Apostles. Unfortunately, it begins in the middle of the story, and so I encourage you to to read part of that chapter at home or or online when you leave. Um, It's a great story about Peter and Peter's conversion. What we hear is the end of the story, but the middle is even more interesting. The story begins in Acts chapter 10 uh, with the introduction of a new character named Cornelius, Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And yet God begins working on Cornelius to prepare him for meeting Peter. And God begins to work on Peter to prepare him to meet Cornelius. Peter, like Jesus himself at the beginning of his ministry, uh, understood himself as a devout Jew following the the laws and the teachings of Moses and all the prophets, um, keeping all the dietary laws, uh, observing the Sabbath, doing everything he was called to do as a good faithful Jew. And so he believed that his teaching, his ministry was one of reform within Judaism. What happens in this vision to Peter, a little like Jesus' own interaction with the woman at the well, Peter begins to understand that God has in God's mind a much larger plan. Peter goes to sleep, and he has a dream. And it's a strange dream. In the vision, he's hungry. Um, He's hungry, but remember, Peter is a good, devout Jew. He keeps all the dietary laws. So there are certain things that he's allowed to eat and certain things he's not. But in this vision, it's as though a sheet lowers from heaven and it's filled with all kinds of things, all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds, all sorts of things. Peter hears a voice that he associates with the voice of God that says, Peter, all of this is yours. Eat. And Peter responds to the voice saying, I can't possibly do that. I'm religious. I don't eat those things that are common or unclean. But the voice says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And then Peter wakes up. 
Well, it's later that Peter begins to realize that this dream is about a lot more than food. It's about his whole understanding of who he is and who God is and how he's called to preach the message of Jesus Christ to any and all he might encounter, not just the Jews, but everyone else. Peter connects this dream uh, with his prior understanding of people, the, the false separations that he held between who was clean and who was unclean, between those included and those excluded, between those whom God loves for whatever reason, and those thought to be not so much loved by God. <laughs> And so in today's reading from Acts, we hear a a wiser and enlightened Peter. He says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality. Peter's new understanding is that God plays no favorites. God is not partial to anyone. God chooses whoever and whenever God desires. All of these things related directly to the understanding of Peter's baptism, of Jesus' baptism, of our baptism. In the back of the Book of Common Prayer is the Catechism. And under the heading of baptism, it reminds us, holy baptism is the sacrament by which God adopts us as his children and makes us members of Christ's body, the church, and inheritors of the kingdom of God. God adopts all of us, and so the the birth child and the adopted child are indistinguishable in God's sight. We are all of us adopted fully and deeply through our baptism. The water makes us one. It's as though we might have been looking at the world through water, and when we look out through the, the perspective of baptism, any distinction we might have seen before becomes blurred. The edges are smoothed over. Difficulties get out of focus. Or at least that's the potential offered to us through baptism. Like regular water, the waters of baptism wash us. Though we're baptized only once in the Episcopal Church, the Anglican tradition, we relive our baptism whenever another is baptized or whenever, like today, we are invited to reaffirm our baptismal vows. Whenever we touch holy water as we come into a church or when it's hurled through the air at us, What a saving grace. It's so warm today. We have done renewal of baptismal vows when it was 10 degrees out, and that really is a chill you catch. God gives Peter a vision that helps him move beyond the confines of his upbringing, his culture, his experience, and even his religion. Remember that Jesus, too, was shaken out of his own ethnic assumptions by the Samaritan woman, by the Canaanite, the Syrophoenician, the tax collector, and many others. When I think of this vision of Peter, when I think of the power of baptism to to reshape us and to help us uh, glimpse a wider view of God's grace and God's mercy, I think of a particular story by uh, the great Southern writer Flannery O'Connor, Flannery O'Connor, a a woman of deep faith, um, often included characters who stumbled upon themselves (laughs) as they tried to find their place in God's holy pecking order of life. 
often finding that they weren't where they thought they might be. In a short story called Revelation, uh, written near the end of Flannery O'Connor's life, there's a wonderful character named Mrs. Turpin. Mrs. Turpin has a vision, a little like St. Peter. But there's a question for the reader, whether it comes too late in life. Mrs. Turpin is in the waiting room of her husband's doctor. She's taken her husband for an appointment, and she begins to do what she does best, which is observe the room. She looks around at the various people. O'Connor writes, Without appearing to, Mrs. Turpin always noticed people's feet. The well-dressed lady had on red and gray suede shoes to match her dress. Mrs. Turpin herself had on her own good black patent leather pumps. The ugly girl in the corner had on Girl Scout shoes and heavy socks. The old woman had on tennis shoes, and that white trashy mother had on what appeared to be bedroom slippers, black straw with gold braid threaded through them, exactly what you would expect such a person to be wearing. You get a sense of Mrs. Turpin, of her analysis of all those around her and of her own self-analysis. Well, the story continues as Mrs. Turpin is in the waiting room and she's looking at everyone and she finally decides that there is one person in the room who she might be able to have a conversation with, someone who's kind of on her level. And so she begins to engage this other person, but she notices the girl in the corner, the one she says is the ugly girl. The ugly girl is reading a book, but kept looking at Mrs. Turpin in a strange way. Mrs. Turpin ignores her and continues her conversation as best she can without uh, being able to help noticing how just ugly and unfortunate she thinks the girl is. Eventually, it's as though the girl somehow takes on the, the anxiety of the whole culture, this, this southern culture of false graciousness and, and passive-aggressive comments and unspoken rules. And so the young woman sort of lurches through the room and takes a dive at Mrs. Turpin and goes for her neck to strangle her. Chaos ensues. <laughs> the ambulance is called... The young woman who had the book, the book that was thrown at Mrs. Turpin, is then taken away in the ambulance, and order is restored. Mrs. Turpin leaves, standing a little more um, uprightly, having her understanding of the universe confirmed. Some people are just crazy. They can be taken away, and things return to normal. But then she gets home. And she looks out the back door across the yard, Mrs. Turpin does, and she, she has a vision of sorts. The light is playing a trick on her. And so she looks across the field, and as Flannery O'Connor writes, a visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge, extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash folks, clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of blacks in white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping for joy. 
In bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and her husband, had always had a little bit of everything and the given wit to use it rightly. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they always had been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone sang on key. (laughs) Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. She lowered hands and gripped the rail of the hog pen, her eyes small but fixed unblinkingly on what lay ahead. In a moment, the vision faded, but she remained where she was. Mrs. Turpin has a vision that sounds a lot like scripture, where those who had enough in this life find their placement in that line going into heaven in a whole different place. I love that line. Even their virtues were being burned away. That's what it would take for those to find true humility. Was it too late for Mrs. Turpin? It's a question that the story sort of leaves us with. All the years she had spent confirmed in her own sense of the right pecking order of the world and her place in it. What about us? As we renew our baptism and invite God to wash us anew for this new year and this new chapter of faith, what is the vision God would have us catch? Who might be included in a new way? Might we ourselves be included in a new way, in a new place, with a new closeness and proximity to God and God's love? May God fill us with visions and dreams and a right reckoning of who we are and whose we are. May we too be washed and forgiven. May we be renewed May God grant us visions that help us extend and share the kingdom of God to every corner and every person. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.